Hi, welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share firsthand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Kevin, and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, Gene is joined by Anders Weidnitz. Anders is Director of Connected Technologies at a global digital agency, Valtech. Anders talked with Gene about how businesses are using technologies to connect their user experiences, no matter where the experience takes place. Take it away, Gene. Anders, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to talk about this huge topic of connected experience today because it happens to be one of those topics. I think there is a lot of advice for these days, but not enough clarity. But if I get totally ahead of myself to get us started, can you just tell us a little bit more about you and what you do at Valtech? Sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm Anders Lenitz. I work at Valtech as a solution architect. I also head up the practice, which we call Connected Technologies, which is broadly anything that has to do with connecting customer experience with technology and enabling the best customer experience through technology. I could not have asked for a better person to really tackle this. You know, I keep thinking it's a humongous topic. I really want to start from some basic questions so that we are clear about, you know, what we are talking about. I mean, our conversation is happening as we are, I guess, in the second, third, fourth wave of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. It depends which part of the world you are living in right now. So I think we can safely assume that this, uh, you know, no matter how they actually call it, some kind of concept of connected experience is really on everybody's mind, especially on the business side. But first, just help us really clarifying what we really mean by when we say connected experience in the in the context of how business is in, interacting with a consumer. Connected technologies, connected experience is, of course, a, a huge topic, and it's used in various uh, settings. A little bit like digital transformation, which is also means everything and nothing nowadays. I see it along a couple of dimensions. The recent trend in connected experience it comes from IoTs and more from a technical an- angle that you know connected devices uh, servicing data from that. But it's broader than that because it's also why are you doing that? It's not only to connect devices; it's to create an experience for the users. It could be for customers connecting the real and offline world. How do I take a customer where it's not online orders? How can I guide and help my customer on a user journey, which starts online with research in different channels to a conversion offline uh, in-store experience and connected technologies can help guide and enable that journey. To me, Looking a little bit beyond that, it's also in the context of something called column computing or related to ubiquitous uh, computing, where looking at uh, smartphones and and recent developments with machine learning on edge, fingerprints, uh, LiDAR, everything that's included today. It's uh, the augmented technology experience, which allows in the end this column computing where the user is using technology in an implicit fashion. Technology is there, but in in the background, enabling the experience, but it's not something you open the machine learning app, but you unlock your phone without having to do anything because it recognizes your face or your fingerprint. If you talk about connected technologies, you talk about connecting up devices, 
it's implicitly going in the direction where quantum computing and ubiquitous computing, that's where it all ends up. I remember where it all meant like, okay, how do we make internet work, you know, for like an online experience or something like this. But these days when I go to, uh, actually two years ago, when I used to go to stores, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, there's so much technology there that I may not be really cognizant of, but I know where is more technology being happening. Is it correct to think that now that, you know, the physical experience has a lot of technologies, whether visible or not, and then there is a whole online experience that we've been developing for the last couple of decades or something, like putting that all together and, and making that seamless. Is that what we are talking about? And I think as soon as you say seamless and the customer focused or customer journey focused development and customer journey focused, I wouldn't say features, but it's implicitly also saying that the technology takes a step back and, and it's enabling, but it's about the customer and it's about the experience connectedness in some way, <laughs> because it's connecting the data, it's connecting the customer to the whatever their goals, they have the service they need, the help they need, the products they need. And ideally, they shouldn't notice the technology. They should be able to focus on their task, right? And, and what they came to do, rent a car or book an appointment. They're not thinking, let me use Outlook for 15 minutes. Yeah, without being spooky though. Sometimes I remember having a conversation about some of the uh, authentication technologies mm. and, and when things are just too connected and seamless, I was told that there is this, that when there's no user interaction, people are getting a little spooked. I'm like, how did you just do that? Totally, and, and especially I'm based in Germany and heart of Europe and GDPR and, and through history also Germany had some really bad experience with collecting personal data on us and, and using that in, in a bad way. So data can enable a lot of things, right? And my personal data, who does it belong to and how is it used? How can I control how it's used? And I think it's about transparency and control and lack of bad surprises. I was listening to a podcast the other week, which they discussed the seeing as the algorithm and, and what is the algorithm. And, and one of the interesting nuggets of information which I picked up is that TikTok has showed us and the success of TikTok has showed us that it's not a social graph anymore. They are collecting hordes of information. Not, not, I'm not saying that, but it's less personal because it's tagged content information. And the, the algorithm, it's not my connections. So recommendations on, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, you follow people. You don't follow topics. You, you follow people and kind of trust. You compose the social networks, which you trust to surface uh, topics or content you want or get product tips, whatever, social shopping is a thing that's implicit through the social network. And TikTok doesn't do that. What they do is you look for content and you consume content and the algorithm, not the people. Perfect for binge watching generation, right? You start consuming certain content and you're getting deeper, deeper, and you're getting all the adjacent things. So you, you're kind of subscribing implicitly through your, your yeah. conclusion to topics, not to people, which is another form of, sure, it's data gathering, but it becomes less interesting for the supplier to kind of hoard your personal data and all your connections and the name of your friends and their friends and, and so on. It becomes 
more tailored to your current interest because it fluctuates over time and, and it's what you're interested in and the content, the kind of content you want to consume. It has an effect on, on how you design, especially a mobile experience. TikTok only allows you to see like one video at a time. It's full screen video as opposed to other media or Facebook or other apps where you have more like cluttered experience. You can say that's for clarity for the user, but actually it also helps the algorithm, this recommendation algorithm, because you can take these videos and you know that the user is not watching something else. The focus is on this topic right now and all the topics is classified. So, you know, the algorithm knows, doesn't do like frame by frame analysis and, and image recognition. It's just metadata that's attached to these clips. And like, there's a dog in here, there's music, there's dance. And that is used to then feed the algorithm. And that's what they meant by seeing as the algorithm, the user interface is actually partially made for you, but partially made for the algorithm. So you take, because you couldn't do the algorithm that good, which is, so they, you need to design the interface to let the algorithm pick up on what your, like your interest and what your preference is, which is the end then enabling your user experience you know, to feed you your preferred, to filter all the billions of clips that they have to filter out this stuff you're into. So it's designed to help them better. You're teaching tool as well as your consuming uh, interface. Now, I'm going to bring you out a little bit more about the connected experience here mm -hmm. as well, because I think there are many, many different ways to do this. And there are some things that are implicit. As a business, we want to do this. But mm -hmm. if there's a little big why, because, you, you know, everybody sort of knew that when you start putting first uh, online shop on the Internet, you kind of understood why you are doing that. Right. So tell me, what is that big why? What, what is the connected experience is trying to do that the other digital kind of a conceptual framework wasn't able to do before? In the context of commerce, the connectedness there is that the users, they don't choose a channel to shop in. They go multi-channel, they hop between channels. So connected experience there is in the online commerce context is around uh, following and supporting, not, not stalking, following <laughs> and uh, supporting the user on that research, the augmented reality, for instance. So or downloading the model you're interested in to see the sofa in, in your room, in the context of your home, that's connected experience. Post-purchase, it could be supporting, well, in a negative case, with, with returns, make that part easy, or change something if it's a piece of, of clothing or clothes. Connected experience and one of my favorite topics, which is machine learning on edge or AI on edge, in-device uh, machine learning. Uh, help reduce returns by ensuring a better fit, for instance. Mm -hmm. so, you know, is it fitting clothes or is it is this piece of furniture fitting in my home? Or is the car going to fit in my garage? Which, so, by the way, thanks for bringing up a, a topic that I was recently like, oh my God, is, is something as a commercial as, as this kind of uh, specific problem? It actually is linked to like even bigger, huge problems. For example, because the fit wasn't able to be more accurate mm. and there are many returns and thinking about this 
COVID time we are living in, and the volume of returns is really, really causing business problems. So you brought up a real recent topic here. Are, are we getting really better using, you know, AR and, and those things to try to help this along? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm optimistic in, in this case because there is gains for everyone. So it's not, it's not only thinking about the environment and, and waste and minimizing waste. It's also minimizing costs for the businesses. So if you sell something, you don't want any returns and you don't want the goods to go out to the customer who buys and know the size above and the size below just to, to try them on, send them back. And there's a lot of product being, it's, it's tragic because it's, it's cheaper to destroy the returns than to repackage them for, for new sales sometimes. And my experience is that it's increased in the last year alone. Machine learning, not on, on the device, but well, it's not only size, it's fit, right? So is it you know narrow fit or is it for which kind of body type? Size finder, let's say previously it was just a table. It used to be a table where like measurements and you could kind of see... Now it was it's using it was using a product, so I don't know how it how it works behind the scenes, but clearly using machine learning to to reduce returns. So you want the algorithm to minimize for that customer the amount of, of returns. So you can train it on the returns to predict the size because sometimes I don't know small is, is maybe I should have a medium or, or large, and that information can then be used to advise the customer. And that's classic machine learning topic but some rules but but you could as you get returns flowing in you can also see what did they order what did they in fact in the end buy that really depicts some of the things that we are talking more about in terms of uh, in order for the experience to be connected you really have to have you know data and process and and the communications are all connected to mm. make this happen in the packaging of technology and, and making things, yeah, let's say machine learning, which used to be just a couple of years ago, more like a research topic. Whereas today, it's very quickly becoming uh, just another tool in uh, the developer tool belt. Classic relational databases many years ago were also new. You had like a database admin or database expert on every project that needed a database. Uh, and that was the guy who kind of set up the database so that it would work in the first place. Whereas today, the database for normal size run-of-the-mill project, you don't need a database admin guy to, to be there as an expert on databases. Uh, it's expected for a developer to know how to use one. And it's very well abstracted through drivers and other things. Now with the cloud, of course, it's on tap. You just say activate database and you have one uh, and you get like API key, whatever, and, and you integrate the database in your code. The machine learning and AI is, is going rapidly going the same direction and even more. So it's coming in these low code, no code environments as well. I don't know if you've seen... Um, Teachable Machine from, from Google is a great website for anyone who didn't go to Teachable Machine, go to Teachable Machine. It's super fun to use and no, no programming skills needed. And it's really combining, it's so inspiring. It's combining, again, my favorite uh, topic right now, <laughs> machine learning in the browser and uh, on edge where you can take pre-cooked data sets for, for instance, audio or image recognition, but also posture recognition or body segmentation. So this is, let's say, facial recognition or, or say you want 
to make a small app or web page that takes your selfie when you smile. You could, within five minutes, you have your data set trained, no programming required, and you could really, you know, be creative, mix it up, and cover a whole lot of ground. Can I tell you something though? Because I remember uh, recently, I think it was just a few weeks ago when uh, Microsoft was doing a, a product launch and, and and talking about how, you know, they they basically built how business user relation uh, database and and I remember <laughs> in grad school, you know, like try to uh, build a decision making system and then it was just absolutely rudimentary. You are doing the thinking part, right? You're basically <laughs> and try to make the decision and then make that branch work. But the thing is, they say something that really captured what I was feeling is that more and more, remember those days where you had to look at the data itself and you had to think about what that meant mm -hmm. and, and then you kind of uh, figured out what to do with it. But now more and more things are going in a way that the data is telling you, mm -hmm. the application is, is start telling you what to do. Are we there where if you are dealing with your customer, I know this customer who orders these things and when he purchases like this, I understand his behavior. So maybe I, I give him a, a second recommendation or something like this. Are we at a place where, hey, 20% of, of people who bought it in this color turned out to be a, a lot of more returns, maybe, maybe there's something going on and then and connecting all this data and, and making those decisions or changes along the way. When we are talking about connected experience, uh, are we more on that individual level or are we at a point where we start connecting you know, different departments, different parts of the uh, industry. Yes, one person's data might help, but in order for machine learning to work, you need a lot of data. And it's not like 20, these 20%. The algorithm will tell you the way machine learning works is like given, given Anders vector or data points, what do we predict? Will he make a return on this order or not? Uh, and for that to to work, you need a lot of data points for other purchases and other returns. Some individuals or some consumer patterns are probably more likely to be the type of customer that returns some goods and, than others. To make an individual recommendation, you need the data from everyone. I mean, I, I like this, the, this way of thinking about like a, what problem are you trying to solve? Because uh, there are many discussions in terms of uh, if machine learning really is data hungry and the more data we feed it and, and better it gets, and that opens up for, you know, really connecting to many different platforms for certain problems. Not only there's apprehension for certain, uh, you know, the easier way to get to that solution, and, and there might be other way to solve that problem. Any exciting uh, project that come to your mind that really embodied the connected experience? For me, it was one of these touched everything that I feel it's the center of, of connected uh, experiences. And it starts with IoT and it starts with the industrialization of agriculture or next level, the, the optimization of agriculture. So you see agriculture farmer on TV in the, <laughs> in the advertising, it's like small scale farmer just, you know, picking some ripe tomatoes and, and carefully packaging those. 
<laughs> to go out to the customer. That's that's not how it works. So of course it's in, in industrial scale and and very much data driven. But it's data driven on on a next level where today you plan depending on what kind of soil you have in different parts of the field. So it's not like on this field, I'll have that, on this field, I'll have that. It's really mapped out with geodata, the fertility of the ground and all the tools you have. They are all connected and they, they all know where they are. So more or less, there's a SIM card in them uh, and, and loads of sensors. So you can plan, of course, you want to use your, your fertilizer or toxins or in, a, in, in an efficient way, you want to optimize it. So if some part of the field doesn't need so much fertilizer, it will actually just reduce the amount there. So the nozzles will just spray less. The ask there generally from the manufacturers, the end consumer farmers and the industry. So there are laws and regulations around this, especially in EU and how you use fertilizers because you want to avoid environmental impact and so on you need to produce a lot of reporting to prove that you are compliant as a, as a farmer the connected experience goes to this level we talked about in the beginning of the podcast with a with the customer experience and the customer journey so you need to of course the planning all the fields doesn't take place on the phone it takes place on a desktop by i would say not a necessarily a computer savvy or inter even interested user they want to get the job done they they are farmers they want to farm the land and operate their their farm not sit in front of the computer so it's a lot about interfaces presenting complex data to the user making sense of that and also on the the mobile experience making sure so that only the right the right data is presented at the right time so, I mean, let's talk about this. I mean, the choices out there, technologies are out there, but uh, if we really think about it, what, what is really holding us back in terms uh, of more uh, companies really deciding to uh, make bigger waves into connected experience? One is very detailed and that's EXIF information. If you take a picture with the camera, there'll be metadata in it that says, is it portrait mode or landscape mode? And that's simply often wrong because the sensor doesn't recognize it or you have, if you're like me, I have it like locked to, to, to portrait mode all, all the time because I don't want the interface to, to just jump around. For myself as a fun summer project, side project last summer, there's a game where you can guess where you collect license plate registration. So in Germany, they have a prefix so you can see which state they're from. Like, is it from Bavaria? Is it from, or from, and if you're on a long trip, you can play a game in the car with you have the kids, like who sees the next from that. And I don't know these codes because I'm from Sweden and, and, and we don't, <laughs> they don't have, so I was like, I wanted to win. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I made a small app also again, like with machine learning on it, like we use a TensorFlow to just, my idea was like, I'll just point the camera at the cars it will cut out the cars, recognize the cars, uh, you know, and do OCR on the license plate. And I will see if it's from Baden-Württemberg or München or whatever before my kids uh, uh, or the family. Now you tell me I lost so many games. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I made that and it, it kind of worked, but this, it, I ran up to exactly this problem. You could have a car that's standing still right in front of you. You hold up the camera and it, the algorithm just says, there is no car in the image. 
So did you do a bad programming? <laughs> did you do bad coding? Or did that app didn't have enough data to learn? Where you as a developer run up against the wall more or less is when when that happens. So so you, you point your algorithm at the data, be it returns from a warehousing system or in, in my case, pointed at a car and the training data and you need like thousands of pictures of different cars from different angles. You know, you don't do that yourself. You download pre-cooked data sets. You need a lot of source material in different lightings and different conditions to make an accurate training data. When the data wasn't trained on the kind of images you feed it, then there's no debugging you can do as a developer to fix that. It's just not going to work. So the fair takeaway from this conversation is, is really a you know, connected experience happening, but it, it needs a lot of data. And that is uh, at the end of the day, once you enable these technologies and, and, and that is how this is gonna get better because that is in essence, that's the learning mechanism. The, 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 a lot of data, but also the right data. There's a debate about bias in data, and it started with uh, racial bias because some auto exposure cameras cannot deal with different skin colors or tones, but there's actually always a bias in data. The algorithm needs to see all cases and have enough data in each case. And if you happen to have a little bit more in some case, then that will be, you know, that's the bias in the data. You can measure bias, you can, you know, statistically you know, do mathematical transformations on it to find out properties of your data. But I would say it's data hungry, yes, but it's uh, what's more important is probably the right data and, and trying to guard against biasing in, in the data. There's another financial reason or, or and what comes to mind to me, and this I see this in many projects or many conversations with customers, is the cost of app development. On one hand, you have uh, low-code, no-code tools. They are great for small campaign apps or very, you know, I would say not long-living enterprise applications. But as soon as you step outside of that realm, quickly the app development to cover Android and iOS and all the vari uh, variants with tablets and, and so on becomes much more expensive than customers are sometimes expecting or budgeting for because they underestimate the effort, also the ongoing maintenance efforts, their updates to operating systems, their new recommendations from Apple and, and Google. And that's a little bit of a failure on the industry. So when apps came, it was, it was expensive because new technology and people were like, it's just an app, they were thinking website, uh, getting presented with the cost of maintaining two, an app is a computer program and an application, and it's a specialized skill. You cannot just drag and drop website, and it's, an, it's a usable app with a native experience. And that gap, expectation gap of cost versus actual cost, has never really been closed the way I see it from, from a technology standpoint. The customer expectation is still that it should be quicker or that you can reuse a lot of functionality between platforms, but that's not really the case. And I think that's one of the, you know, it's not lack of standards. They are standard platforms, just different <laughs> to different platforms with Android and iOS. 
uh, with their own set of, of challenges. And that's really, if that would be in a web development context, where it's much more standardized and the browser as a platform has enabled development to go much faster, I would say, than and, and the, the deployment of new technology within the sandboxed case of a, of a browser. But yeah, that's something I'm seeing. If it was simpler to develop native apps, we would see more adoption of uh, new technologies on mobile quicker, I, I think. Yeah. That really comes back to age-old total cost of ownership problem. And then that really rings true. And, uh, you know, we provide what's a business API. Part of the reason why, you know, these platforms are more successful is because they handle that mm -hmm. uh, device problems. So it, it is more of a uh, going into a place where they don't have to worry about all these different things that are part of it. But that is a really interesting thing. I mean, we get excited about talking about technology, but sometimes it's just the real issue, you know, the, the cost rationale, maintaining apps and all the uh, possibilities of what to do with that, with a new app. I think that- There that are hybrid technologies, et cetera, coming out, but they're not, still not really closing the gap fully. They have their use cases as, as well. And progressive web apps, which you can have on your phone and have an on offline experience. They're not really taking off. Uh, customers are not used to saving a web page as an app on their phone, and it's not in the app store. Mm, so there are technical possibilities maybe, but it's not really yet taking off, I would say. Thanks again to Anders Weijnitz for joining us today. Don't forget to tune into our next episode for the conclusion of our conversation with Anders. You can find out more about Anders at valtech.de. To find out more about Gene and Tintech, visit tintech.com. Make sure to subscribe to Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening. <laughs>